James chapter 3, and let's finish this chapter with the Lord's help, and may it rest forever in our hearts and our minds. James chapter 3, I'm going to read to you verses 13 through the end of the chapter. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. May the Lord bless the precious word of God to our ears and to our hearts. There are two kinds of wisdom compared here. There is the wisdom that is from the earth, that is sensual and devilish in verses 14 through 16. And there is wisdom that comes down from heaven in verses 17 and 18. There is the wisdom of the devil and ungodly men, and it is compared and contrasted to the wisdom of God and righteous men. The question is asked in verse 13, if there is truly a wise man that has knowledge among these scattered Jews to whom James wrote, he should show that by his lifestyle rather than thinking he belonged as a teacher. Before a man is qualified to teach, he should show by his lifestyle that he is worthy of it. The integrity that God expects from his ministers is not elocution. It's not the gift of speaking. It's this that he wants right here. You remember that in the first verse of this chapter, James began by telling them, Be not many masters. And those that thought they knew so much, and I read to you from Romans 2 that shows it plainly, those Jews who thought they knew so much and ought to be instructors of babes and teachers of the Gentiles, he points out to them, because they are so carnal through this epistle, that the real qualification that God's looking for, and the real qualification God's looking for from all of us, is a lifestyle of wisdom and meekness and good works. And that we should show it rather than talk about it. You'll remember that throughout this epistle we've read about men that talked about themselves. If any man among you seem to be religious. There were some that said, I have faith, but they didn't have any works. And so he's dealing with those that were professors, but they did not live the life of a Christian. And he says here that if someone wants to show wisdom, wants to show that he is endued with knowledge then you should show that out of your lifestyle. And every one of you should be intrigued, challenged, and excited about this question. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Every one of you should want to be that wise man. Every one of you should want to be a wise woman if you're a woman, or a wise child if you're a child. And the answer is given in the same verse with the question. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. I was a rebellious 18-year-old. That's not the only year that I was rebellious. I did not get along well with my parents. I thought they were ruining my fun. I was a miserable Young man, full of rebellion, resentment, hatred, bitterness, and strife. My father took me 
to a couple of Baptist ministers when I was 18 years old who dealt with problem teenagers and other problems. Some of you know more than I'm going to say now. I remember that night well. And the thing I remember about it most are the verses that we're looking at. They sat me down and told me, this is what your father has described to us about the way you treat him. And they told me I was devilish. I knew I wasn't righteous. But I didn't like to be told I was devilish. I said, what do you mean devilish? And they said, let me show you three, let us show you three verses. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Then these loving men told me that the reason my life was such a mess is because all I had was devilish wisdom. I'm thankful to the Lord for that night. It wasn't always clear sailing every day after that, but that was certainly a watershed event in my life. I love these verses. I love the simplicity of God's Word when it tells me what kind of wisdom is devilish and what kind of wisdom is from heaven. And draws the comparison in just a few verses, and I'm not going to take long. I'm not going to take long, but I want you to hate what is in verses 14 through 16, and I want you to love what's in 17 through 18. It'll make a difference in your life. And I'm thankful for some Baptist ministers who knew the Word of God enough that could pinpoint my problem, that I was following the influence of the devil. And to what extent I was following the influence of the devil, we'll leave that in the Lord's mind. Because he knows. Because I was there for more that night than to hear James three fourteen through 16. And some of you know that. But whatever the case may be, I remember those three verses and I'm thankful for them. When I see the question in verse 13, it's a challenge from James to those who thought themselves teachers but were not worthy. And it's a challenge to those who thought themselves teachers and were worthy. If you're a wise man, show it to us. If you've got lots of knowledge, don't tell us about it. Show it to us. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. That word conversation there is not talking. It's not communication. We have been dealing with the tongue, but this word conversation in this verse is meaning lifestyle or your manner of life. Let him show through a good lifestyle, through a good manner of life, the knowledge and wisdom that he has with meekness of wisdom. Let him show it to us. Don't tell us about it. And that's what we want. We want to show the Lord and we want to show men a righteous lifestyle so that we can grow in favor with God and with men. And this is how it's done right here. This this passage and these five verses that we're now turning to are dealing with the attitude, the spirit of men. If you have one spirit or attitude toward those in authority or toward others, then you are devilish and your life is confused and you're going to end up in every evil work. If you change that and choose the path of wisdom and righteousness in verses 17 and 18, your life can be blessed and righteousness will follow you through this life and God's blessing upon that will follow you through this life and into the next world. It's your choice. But we have a lesson in verses 14 through 16. If ye have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. Do not think highly of yourself. Do not glory about yourself. Do not think much of yourself if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart. Notice, it doesn't say outwardly, in your hands or in your feet. It says in your heart. Do you think bitter thoughts about others? Do you envy others? 
Do you strive with others in your heart? Do you resent them? Do you want to fight? Do you consider them an enemy? Do you consider them your opposition? Are you upset bearing grudges against others? Is there cruelty inside you toward others? It's in your heart. If you've got it, don't glory in that you're something special in the sight of God because you're not. You are devilish, as we're going to get to in the next verse. We want to ask ourselves, what is envy? You know, envy is more than just jealousy, that someone else has something you wish you had. Envy is a malignant or hostile feeling toward others. Envy is broader and bigger than just simple jealousy. Envy is the mortification, the anger and the irritation, the offense and the pain, the bitterness and the resentment that others may have an advantage over you, that others may provoke you, that others offend you. It's just a desire to fight. It's a pri- it's pride that results in the anger and the bitterness toward others and, and their advantage or their offenses to you. Bitter envying. Bitterness. Our offenses not buried. Bitterness happens when a person offends you and instead of forgiving them and forgetting it, you hold on to it. You may not keep it right out on your desk. You may put this, I'm talking about your soul. You may put it away in a file drawer, but you keep it. It was never resolved. And that accumulates until you have bitterness inside of you. And when you look at a person or you're around a person, you treat them because of what is in your heart with the memory of those unsolved offenses. And those should not exist in a Christian's life. They should be put away. Bitterness. Bitter envying. That that corrosive feeling in our hearts that takes away our joy and takes away our peace and makes us angry, irritated toward other people. That's bitter envying. Do you have any of it in your heart toward anyone? Get it out. Bitter envying and strife. Are you fighting? Are you resisting? Are you angry at someone? Or are you peaceable and compliant and submissive and agreeable with them? There's a big difference. Your life is going to be a mess until you get rid of all bitter envying and strife. Because your life is going to be confused and you're going to, it's going to lead to every evil work. You're going down. Do not glory about this and do not lie against the truth. Do not say, I'm justified in the anger that I have towards someone. I'm justified in the bitterness I feel. Bury it. Forgive it. God's forgiven you 10,000 talents. Why are you holding on to 100 pence that someone else has taken from you? Put it down. It leads to confusion and every evil work. Do not lie against the truth. God has spoken. If you have bitter envying and strife in your heart... If you fight and have divisions with others, if there's envy in you and you resent anyone in this assembly or out of this assembly, if you have bitterness toward anyone, that is not from heaven. Do not glory in it. Do not think that you are something. Do not glory in what you're doing. Do not lie against the truth of God's word about it. It is devilish. It doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter what the world calls it. It doesn't matter how many other people you think are getting away with it. It's devilish. If ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Verse 15, this wisdom. Now it's not really wisdom. But that's because he's still mocking from his question in verse 13. Who is a wise man? There are some of you that want to be teachers, but yet your lifestyle is one of bitter envy and strife with other men. How in the world can you be a teacher? And so that's why he's calling it wisdom here, because we know better. We know that bitter envying and strife is not wisdom. Bitter envying and strife is folly. It's wickedness. But he's calling it wisdom for the sake of his question, and for the sake of those who thought they were wise, but were living wicked lives. This wisdom, this attitude and spirit and conduct that you have descendeth not from above. You want to be ambassadors of the God of heaven. But the spirit and attitude you have didn't come from him. It came from someone else. And it came a different direction. It is earthly, sensual, and devilish. We have read to us by our brother Bob 
Colossians 3, 5 through 15. There we read about mortifying the works of the flesh and the members of our body that are on this earth. He read the word earth because this kind of wisdom, bitterness, envy, and strife are members of our flesh and they're on this earth. They are earthly because they are the way that the natural man reacts one to another. That's the way the ordinary, depraved, sinful man treats other men. With envy, with bitterness, and with strife. They love to fight. They love disagreements. They love to puff themselves up. They love to resent the advantages of others. They love to hold on to bitterness. They love to remember an offense that was done against them. That comes from the earth. It is earthly. It is not heavenly. It is earthly. And there's no way we should be a minister of heaven, nor should we be members of heaven. Sitting here in an assembly of the family of God and have any of that in our lives. Bitterness, unresolved offenses, strife, wanting to fight, disagreeableness, contrariness to getting along with others. This wisdom descendeth not from above. This does not come down from God. It does not come from heaven. It is not noble. It is not uplifting. It is not profitable. It is not good. It's wrong. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's sensual in that it is purely related to our senses and our lusts. When you get bitter at someone, when you envy them, when you want to fight with them, when you want to strive with them, that comes from your senses, your lusts, your base lusts that we have because our father Adam was a sinner. It does not come from heaven. It does not come from the new man. It does not come from the Spirit of God. It is sensual. It is based on our feelings. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know how strong your feelings can be. When someone wrongs you, how quickly your feelings get involved. Remember we had a verse a few verses earlier that said the tongue can set on fire the whole course of nature. And I asked you how long does it take you to get angry when someone says something hard to you? How long does it take? How many days do you have to think about it before you get upset? You know, it's inside of a second because it's sensual. It's purely based on the feelings of our base, depraved, sinful man. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. It's motivated by the devil himself. It's like the devil himself. Because the devil was what from the beginning? Two things. A liar and a murderer from the beginning. Cain killed Abel because of the devil's influence. He was a murderer, and he is a liar, and he's the father of them. He started them in our world. And if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, then you're a murderer. It doesn't matter. Don't glory in yourself, thinking you're something, because you belong on death row. You are a murderer. Don't lie against the truth. If you have bitterness... Unresolved offenses that you're holding on to. Why are you holding on to them? Because you want to exact revenge at some point. Because you are too important to let that thing go, is what your soul tells you. You're envying the advantage of another. You want to take it away from them. You resent them having it. You want to fight with them. That's devilish. I was all of those things toward my parents. Forgive me again. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. No one of us should be trusted. No one of us should ever be put in an office where we're teaching. If we've got envy and strife in our life. Because if we've got envy and strife, the Lord tells us, and don't lie against the truth. It leads to confusion and every evil work. If you have envying and strife in your life, and you have allowed the devil to have such a grip and hold in your life, that you are bitter about other people, and you envy other people, and you want to fight and strive and argue and debate with them, then you have opened yourself up to the murderer. When you go read in Ephesians chapter 4, and it tells us about forgiving, and it tells us about forbearing, and being long-suffering, and being tender-hearted, All of that is put in a context of giving place to the devil and grieving the Holy Spirit of God. He is a murderer. 
So when you are envious or bitter or fighting or striving in your heart, inside, against someone else, you have given the devil place in your life because he is a murderer and you've opened the door and said, I like being a murderer. Come and help me in this matter. And so you're full of devilish influence and it's going to result in confusion. Your life is going to be chaotic. Your life is going to be up and down, inconsistent. It's going to be full of agitation. It's going to be full of problems. God has promised it so because the devil's a destroyer and you've given him a place in your life. And it will lead to every other evil work. Because if you've allowed yourself to think evilly of a brother, then you're going to do evil things toward him. If you've allowed yourself to evilly treat a child of God, then you're open and suspect for doing any other sin. And it all stems from one thing. I mean, a few things that are of a similar nature. Bitterness, envy, and strife in your heart. Who are you upset at today? Blow it out! Save yourself! Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation. His wisdom with meekness. For wherein being in strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. That's the wisdom that is of the devil. Do not lie against what God... God has just condemned it. Every bit of it. Now we come to verse 17. But. But. A different kind of wisdom. This is true wisdom. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. If we follow the commas, we have seven character traits of godly wisdom. And then we're told what those godly people do in the 18th verse. Let me quickly run over these. We have used the first one with the wrong emphasis. The first word is pure. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. We have used it in this way. The wisdom that is from above is first doctrinally correct. James isn't talking about doctrinal correctness. It's not even on his mind. It's not in the chapter anywhere. It's talking about pureness. We have leapt to that conclusion. Let me tell you what verse was used, one of the verses that was used by the inquisitors that burned and pulled our ancestors and the faith apart. It was right here. The wisdom that is from above is first doctrinally correct, then it's peaceable. So they justified themselves pulling our ancestors apart. That isn't the point of James here. We're going to let the context drive us. And is there a application of the word pure that is different than doctrinal correctness. Yes, there is. And it starts with what's already been given away in the comparison. Remember, we have two kinds of wisdom. And we were told about a wisdom that has bitter envying and strife in the heart. And now we're told the wisdom is from above is first pure. That word pure should be understood with its primary emphasis of having a clean, single, honest heart before God. Because that is the foundation of the six things that follow. That is what a man has to have first. A pure heart. We're not talking about doctrinal correctness here. We are talking about starting from the inside out. Then a man can be peaceable, gentle, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Because inside he has a pure heart with no evil motives, no false motives, no pretensions, no secret agenda, nothing but a heart of pure gold. No impurities at all, but pure before the God of heaven. This first one is toward God, and the next six are more toward others. But we have to start with this one. Are there any verses that would help us? He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips the king shall be his friend. Are the rest of these things dealing with gracious lips, gentle, peaceable, easy to be entreated, Is that gracious lips? That's a good cross-reference. But there's better ones. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter... It's only a page or two away. Peter wrote his epistles to the same group of people. The twelve tribes scattered abroad. To strangers, Jews, who were not living in their home country, but were living in other nations. 
And here's what Peter had to say in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now notice we have purified in the first line of that verse, and we have a pure heart in the last line of that verse, and it was achieved by obeying the truth that the Spirit has taught us about unfeigned love of brethren. It starts with that pure heart. We have purified our heart by accepting what God has said on how we are to treat others, and that is to be unfeigned, not putting on any pretensions, but starting out with a heart that truly loves others and wants to serve them, wants to bow down before them, wants to lift them up, wants to help them. It starts with that pure heart. Right here in 1 Peter, one page away. If you write cross-references in your Bible, it might help you to put 1 Peter 1.22 right beside the line that has the word pure in James 3.17. If we were to cheat, if we were to cheat in our study of James and go back, if we went back, we would find out that in verse 27 of chapter 1, we had the words, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, that we visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Pure religion is pure conduct flowing from a loving, serving heart. It is not pretending to be religious because the apostle had just said that religion is vain. If we cheat ahead and we go to verse 8 of chapter 4, if we're looking at James and his use of the word pure, we come to verse... 8 of chapter 4, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. We are double-minded when we have two ambitions in life. Yes, I want to serve the Lord, but I also like the world. That's being double-minded. And we're to purify our hearts, and that is what James is going after. We should, we should not be flipping James 3.17 out that the wisdom from above is first doctrinally correct, then we'll think about being peaceable. We should be peaceable with people who aren't even doctrinally correct. Oh, that, I didn't say compromise. I just said being peaceable in our spirit. Right. We, we don't need to have an antagonistic, bitter envying and striving spirit. We might have to strive against false doctrine at times, but we should do it with a loving pure spirit flowing out of a heart that is not set on bitter envying and strife. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you, I want you to see another cross-reference. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm sorry for in the past putting an emphasis on the word pure because that's what I was taught. That the word pure there was doctrinally correct because the phrase was just pulled out and we bandied it about almost like a sledgehammer. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. You get your act right, then I'll treat you right. We better get our act right, then we can treat other people right, even if they differ with us. Amen. Listen to this. Oh, I don't like this one, but I'm going to quote it to you anyway. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Is that a word we've just had here that's devilish? The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, P word, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. You know, we love to get our hands on the gospel tomahawk, and we start the war chant, find me an Arminian so I can take a scalp. I want to show up at church on Sunday with ten scalps hanging from my belt with my gospel tomahawk. You know, if they would have submitted, I'd have treated them peaceably. Because they didn't, I took their scalp. Now, you can use whatever figure you want in your head, but we shouldn't be fighting unnecessarily. There's a time to earnestly contend for the truth, but even while we're earnestly contending, I hope that we'll remember the wisdom is from above is first pure, then peaceable, and starts right inside here. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips the king shall be his friend. Do you know what the whole problem here is in James that he's dealing with? 
a bunch of loud mouths that were bragging about themselves being something special, tearing into other people, cutting, slicing, dicing other church members, and he's trying to condemn that. Can't you tell that? If you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, forget being a minister. You're not even worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. That is devilish, earthly, and sensual wisdom. I want to tell you about an entirely different way to treat people, and it starts on the inside. Get a pure heart. Purify your heart through unfeigned love of the brethren. Love pureness of heart. No secret ambitions. Not resenting anyone for anything, but loving all men. Especially those in the household of faith. 2 Timothy 2.22. Look at how this one's worded by Paul. Flee also youthful lust. Does that match up pretty well with the wisdom that is from beneath is earthly, sensual, devilish? Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is the kind of man we want to be right there. We want to start with a pure heart, and then that leads to being peaceable. David had a pure heart. Do you know Jonathan could stand there? What you had read to us by young Chris, there he is, Chris Nappy from 1 Samuel 18. I love those words. I love, you, you want a drama? Get into David standing there with Goliath's head in his left hand and an oversized sword in his right hand. And Saul's asking him, who art thou? I'm just the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. And Jonathan's standing there. He's a war-hardened veteran. He's been serving his father for a long time. He knows the throne is his next. And he watches the gracious speech, and he hears it come out of David's lips. And when David turns around to leave King Saul's presence, he says, would you come with me for a moment? And he takes him into a side room. And he says, you are a special man. And God is upon you. And he starts stripping off. How do you? Hollywood, they're so full of drugs and alcohol and the rest of their sickness, they can never come up with a drama to touch the Bible. Amen. They've never had two men that can even come close to that. Jonathan made a covenant with him. You have such special character traits. You are so special and God is upon you and you just handled my father so graciously. You're going to be great someday. Will you make a covenant with me that I can be your right-hand man? Do you know how all that started? By a little boy out taking care of sheep who wrote little poems that sounded like, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Remember what he wrote in Psalm 1? That a man who delights in God's word day and night is going to prosper in all that he does. David had that pure heart. I want to, I want to recapture James chapter 3.17 from you thinking that that word pure is just talking about being doctrinally correct. That is not a thought in James 3. The purity is getting your motives and your heart right instead of having bitter envying and strife there. Rather having a single-minded, one purpose, and that is the glory of God and the service of all his saints. Pure. Not mixed with any kind of error. Not mixed with any selfish ambitions. Jonathan could see in David, that man's heart is absolutely pure. I was afraid to go take on the uncircumcised giant. I'm I'm talking as if I was Jonathan. I was afraid to go take on the giant. David went and did it. Look at that big, ugly head he's got in his hand and that big sword. He doesn't want any attention. He doesn't want any glory. He didn't even give my father his name. He just said, I'm the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. So the king will be his friend. Solomon heard all about that story. Solomon heard all about Jonathan and David, and so he wrote Proverbs 22:11 for us. And then James wrote James 3:17 for us. Let's get back there and finish up this chapter. Lord, forgive me for not putting the proper emphasis on pure in this context. Oh, we've got verses to tell us to be doctrinally correct. They're just not found here. Right. Don't think 
that I'm all of a sudden going to join the ecumenical movement and ask Brookwood if we can meet with them next Sunday. Understand, we want the word, listen, we want every word of God that he's given us in exactly the sense that he intended it. Amen. You know what that means for the rest of our lives? We're going to say, I was wrong, this is better. I was wrong, this is right. Let's just keep going in that direction. Do you know you can't make progress without changing? I hope you have remembered that. I've tried to teach you that for a long time. No progress can ever be achieved without being willing to change. Because progress means you're doing something differently than you were doing before. And if you're doing it differently, then that's a change. Change is good when it's in the right direction. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure. I could preach the entire rest of... I could preach another hour on being pure, but I'm not going to do it. If, go home and read Proverbs 22.11 if you want to read more about being pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Amen. That's wisdom from above. It starts out with a pure heart, not mixed with any false motives, agenda, or anything. Just pure love, undefiled, unmixed, with no defiling elements at all of love of God and love of others and to serve them. A pure heart. Then it's peaceable. It's peaceable. In Luke chapter 9, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, there's a man casting devils out over there in your name. Tell us to go over there and tell him to stop. Jesus said, if he ain't against us, he's for us. Why do you want to shut him up? Why do you want to stop him? Next verse. They came to a village of the Samaritans. Jesus acted like he didn't really care about the villages of the Samaritans because he wanted to go to Jerusalem because he knew that's where he was going to die. When he showed that he wasn't all that excited about being in a village of the Samaritans, they didn't get very excited about him. This is in Luke 9. It's all there. I'm just trying to save time by not turning to it. So they didn't treat him very well. The disciples came to him. The, the one that they called the disciple of love. John and James came to him and said, Lord, we like the story about Elijah. Can we pull it right now? Can we pull that out of your bag of tricks and burn up this village of Samaritans? Can you see our Lord? He's just spent three years with them and tried to show them his gentleness and meekness. And he said, ye know not, ye know not what spirit ye are of. Where is the peaceable spirit that I have? Right. You, you know not what spirit you are of. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. These men that he is condemning in James chapter 3 wanted to promote themselves above others. They thought they were so full of wisdom while they were striving and envying others. And the Lord's putting them down and saying, if you really have a gift from heaven, I mean for all of us. I'm not, let's not talk about ministerial gifts. Let's talk about a gift from heaven, a gift of wisdom on how to conduct your life. The first thing you are is you are pure like David was pure in his heart and pure like the Son of God was pure in his heart. Second, you are peaceable. You make peace wherever you go. You make peace with everyone, whether they are enemy, foe, or friend. Make peace. You are peaceable. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. You make peace wherever you go. You're peaceable. You always get along. You cooperate. You submit. You agree. You're compliant. You're submissive. You're peaceable. It's an apostolic order for saints of Christ to live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. There shouldn't be any bitter envying and strife. Notice how this is opposite of each other. There are men that love to strive and to fight. and They've done it all their lives. They were raised in homes that did it. But then there are men that are taught by the grace of God that should change that first influence in their lives altogether. And that is that they're pure and then they're peaceable. A froward man or a wicked man is one that sows discord. You know, we had that read to us this morning from Proverbs chapter 6, that the Lord hates froward men. They're naughty. They're wicked. Because they sow discord. That was mentioned twice. Once in verse 14. Once in verse 19. God hates those that sow discord because everything we should be doing should be toward peace. Always making peace. Listen, if you can make peace by forgiving someone for hurting you, do it. Don't wait till they ask. Just do it. You're still alive. That means the Lord's done it for you. I'm sure you've missed a few in your prayers. Do it. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. So different from the wisdom that is from beneath. I didn't have a pure heart when I was 18. 
I wasn't peaceable when I was 18. I love striving. A fight was a good thing. It made me feel good. Oh, but it didn't. there Because there was confusion every evil work there. And I ended up being the most miserable person on earth. Listen, I've already told you I was the world's greatest underachiever in school. I was also the world's unhappiest teenager. And so when I preach to you teenagers, I know what I'm talking about. I want you to say I want to save you from what I went through. I had things. I had friends, but I didn't have the Lord and I was miserable. I didn't have peace, I was miserable. I had confusion in every evil work. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable. You make peace with everyone out of a pure heart. Then what do you do? You're gentle. Do I need to spend a lot of time on the word gentle? Have you figured that one out yet? The true wisdom of God is gentle. You know what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2? He was like a nurse among the Thessalonians. You know, we want ministers that are like Elijah, and I'm thankful for the prayer that was offered earlier today about the spirit of Elijah, but at the same time, we want the spirit of Elijah inside someone that can be like a nurse like Paul. What a combination. A nurse. A nurse? I thought that was a... Isn't that a job for girls? You mean a nurse? You mean, I thought, I thought Rebecca had a nurse and it was a female. You know, in the Bible, no, like a nurse. Paul wasn't ashamed to say, I was like a nurse among you. Gentle. Much more could be said about gentle. You know, by nature, we are hard, harsh, cruel. What does the Bible say? Paul said about himself, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. But do you know what he said? That we are, we are supposed to treat all men with gentleness in verse 2 because of what God has done in saving us. Let me go back to David for a second. David had some nephews. What were their names? I need three names. Joab. Joab. Abishai. Asahel. Three nephews. They were the daughters of his sister named? Zeruiah. Zeruiah. Were they loyal? Were they tough? Were they studs in the Israelite army? Did they have thousands reporting to them? When anybody picked on their uncle, what did they want to do? Go over and take the dead dog's head off. Do you know what our pure David said? About... The most loyal, some of the most loyal fighting men he had for 40 years that protected him through thick and thin. Listen to these words. Ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. They were too severe and they were too harsh. And David, on his deathbed, wheezing on his respirator, asked for Solomon to come over and told him, don't let Joab go down into the grave in peace. Yes, he's my nephew, and he served me for 40 years. Kill him. Because he had done violence to some innocent men. But on another occasion, when they were trying to defend him, they wanted to defend David against a man named Shimei who was cursing him. David said, let Shimei curse me. God's bidden him to do it. I deserve it. Let him curse me. Abishai whispered in his ear, let me go take the head off that dead dog. And he said, ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. I, I use David because that's the one that the Bible uses throughout. Right. There's an example of being gentle. We want to be gentle. Let people curse us. We don't have to curse back. Let's overcome evil with good, not overcome evil with evil. Let's not return railing for railing. But contrary wise, a blessing. Right. Let's bless those who rail on us. He's sending his sunshine, his rain, and all the evil men that hate him in this country. They want to get rid of under God from our pledge. They want to get rid of in God we trust. And he sends that beautiful day out there on them. And he sends his rain to give them their food from the ground. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated. I ask you this question about point number four. 
How easily do you say, I am sorry? How many times have you said it? I am wrong. I was wrong. How many times when someone asks you, will you forgive me? Do you say, I'll forgive you right now. It's over. Are you easy to be entreated? Can someone come to you and correct you, warn you, suggest, ask, better, beggar, plead that you're doing something that they wish you would change? Can you say, thank you for telling me that. I'm wrong. I should do it differently. Easy to be entreated. I didn't make it up. It's the wisdom that is from above. It's the wisdom of God. Easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits. Because there's no comma between mercy and good fruits, we connect these two together. That the good fruits are good fruits of mercy. Full of mercy and good fruits. When you've got someone under your thumb, when they owe you something, you're merciful to them and you let it go. It's easy for you to forgive. It's easy for you to be long-suffering. You'll put up with it forever. You're full of mercy and good fruits. Instead of envying and striving like the wisdom from the devil, this wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits of mercy, charity, kindness, helping, serving, overlooking, feeding your enemy, giving drink to your enemy. Acts of mercy without partiality. No difference among any man. It doesn't matter whether he's your friend or your enemy. You look at the life of David again. King Saul tried to kill him. He treated King, he was so faithful to King Saul that when Ahimelech stood before Saul and was asked, did you see David? What did you do for him? Isn't he the most faithful man you've got? Didn't matter to David. That's why he had that pure heart. It all came from that pure heart. There's no partiality in a pure heart. Everyone in this assembly is on an equal footing with you. You care about every single one of them. Some of them may be easier. Some of them, when you take them to dinner, it may be more pleasant and not as much work. So what? You would never mistreat them. You would never say anything about them that is damaging to them. You would protect them, defend them, serve them, love them, help them. Every member, without partiality. There is none coming from a pure heart. It's already been taught here in the second chapter. And then it says, without hypocrisy. No pretensions to anything. No acting one way on Sunday, living a different way Monday through Saturday. Nothing put out about loving the brethren while you're harboring hatred in your heart for any of them. This is the wisdom from above. This is one of the most fantastic single-verse statements in the Bible. James 3.17. It was so contrary to the way I lived when I was a teenager. I thank God that I love this passage now and I want verse 17 with all my heart. The wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. I could quote it another ten times and I still wouldn't be happy. It's such a wonderful verse and it is so distinctively different than what is described in verses 14 through 16. The bitter envying and strife in a heart. Let's get rid of all wars. Let's put all battles down. Let's turn our swords into plowshares. Let's plow up the good ground of our brothers and hold no enmity there at all. Let's serve, love, submit, agree with, and make peace as far as we possibly can. May the Lord help us. Because verse 18 says this, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. James is dealing with a bunch of men in the scattered churches of the Jews that had bitter envying and strife in their hearts, and it was creating wars in the churches of Jesus Christ. And yet they thought they gloried in themselves. They thought they were so full of knowledge that they had the right to bite and devour and slice and cut others. And he says, no, the wisdom that is from above is these seven things. And the man that has that wisdom gives himself to making peace. Above all things, even though we've had the word peaceable already in verse 17, verse 18 is committed to the subject of being peacemakers. Wherever there is a difference, wherever you sense a difference in our church, you ought to be a peacemaker. Do you know what a peacemaker is? They make peace. 
Go make sure that two parties that may be estranged from each other are put back together. You're a peacemaker if you make sure your heart is clean toward all others. Be a peacemaker. Make peace. Fathers with their sons. Sons with their fathers. The Bible tells me, according to Elijah, the prophecy of Elijah in Malachi chapter 4, and John the Baptist fulfilling that in the spirit and power of Elijah, that fathers and sons getting together is a people prepared for the Lord. That does not mean that fathers do not punish, teach, train, correct, and warn their sons. But there should be no enmity in the heart of a child of God against anyone. Let us make peace. The fruit of righteousness. Now, if if you were to plant the fruit of an apple, if you were to plant an apple tree, you would plant an apple tree expecting to get an apple. The fruit of righteousness is planted. It's sown in the ground by those that make peace. Those that are peacemakers, they shall see God. They'll spend eternity in heaven. One of the greatest evidences of being a child of God is being a peacemaker. You are sowing the fruit of righteousness in your life. It will follow you through this life, and it will follow you in the world to come when you are given a crown of righteousness for having been a peacemaker on earth. There's two kinds of wisdom in James chapter 3. Verses 14 through 16 is terrible. It is earthly, sensual, and devilish wisdom. And without the grace of God and without your diligent effort, that is the wisdom that you will bear in your life. Because that is how we react naturally. In verses 17 and 18, we have wisdom from heaven. It comes from God and His grace. It is taught to us right here. We are told seven things that we should be doing. And we should be making peace with everyone that we possibly can. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be your parents. It could be brethren. It could be an employer. It could be a neighbor. It could be a teacher. It could be the government. Make peace. That does not mean we do not contend for the truth. And if war comes, we will trust the Lord to teach our fingers to fight and our hands to war. But we will not look for it. We will be looking for peace. May we sow the fruit of righteousness in our lives by being peacemakers. Brethren, these things ought not so to be, to bless God and to curse men. Let us bless God and bless men. If they rail against us, let's not return railing for railing, but rather blessing for railing. Let's not try to match evil for evil, but let us overcome their evil with good. May the Lord bless the preaching of his precious word. And may we all submit ourselves to it.